On January 21st, 2005, Adrienne Reynolds was murdered by the people she thought that she could trust. The people she thought were her friends. A jealous triangle turns deadly in this horrifying story right in your backyard. This is the Morbid Midwest. I'm your host, Brooke Hass, and I'm a huge fan of all things true crime. However, when the stories grow closer and closer to home, they are all the more shocking. I'll be covering cases in the Quad City area and beyond, from cornfield killers to the missing Midwest. In this episode, I'll be covering the murder of Adrian Reynolds, which took place in the early 2000s in Moline, Illinois. The color pink signifies warmth and happiness to many, but to the family of Adrian Reynolds, the color draws memories of their daughter who never came home. Adrian's adoptive parents told the Argus Dispatch that Adrian's favorite color was pink. It was all over her room. Photos of Adrian plastered the walls of the pink-themed room, a mural of memories long gone. When she was just 16, Adrian was adopted by Tony and Joanne Reynolds and moved to Moline from Texas after a troubled few years. In the two months Adrian lived in the Quad Cities, she attended Blackhawk College Outreach Center to get her GED while she worked at a Checkers in East Moline. At the Blackhawk Outreach Center, Adrian met Sarah Kolb and Corey Gregory. Sarah had been placed at Blackhawk due to her being bullied and persecuted because she identified as bisexual. Sarah was seen as an alpha female at Blackhawk. She was someone you didn't really want to cross. With a history of marijuana and cocaine usage, Corey, who was 17, was Sarah's sidekick of sorts. He was seemingly devoted to Sarah right by her side and doing everything she wanted him to do. Corey's mother, according to court records, said that he began a change after beginning to hang around Sarah. He became withdrawn from his family, and it almost seemed like Sarah was controlling his every move. When I first saw photos of Sarah and Corey, I was caught slightly off guard. Several of Sarah's photos show her with a straight face and a white turtleneck, appearing very innocent. One photo, though, made me feel extremely unsettled. It was a mugshot photo of Sarah, her hair buzz short on the sides and spiky on the top, and on her face was the shadow of a smile. She looked evil, her eyes void of emotion. Corey's photos were no different. His pictures show a young man with a wild smile on his face. Sarah loved to have control over Corey, and Corey seemed to adore her. To me, it almost seemed like Corey was a devoted puppy that wanted to please his master. They were attached at the hip, doing everything together and remaining friends after a brief relationship together. However, Adrian started to make friends with Corey too. Sarah saw the relationship forming between Corey and Adrian and her jealousy mounted after she realized that she was losing her control over Corey to Adrian. At the outreach center where Corey, Sarah, and Adrian went to school, the students had to keep journals to write their thoughts and feelings in. On January 21st, the same day that Adrian was murdered, Sarah wrote in her journal that she would kill Adrian. Later that day, Sarah invited Adrian to join her, Corey, and Sarah's current boyfriend, Sean McKittrick, for lunch at the Taco Bell in Moline. When questioned by authorities, Sean explained that he really didn't know why Sarah invited Adrian that day. The four loaded into Sarah's car and headed off on the five-minute drive just up the road. On the way to the Taco Bell, the tension between the two girls mounted until a fight broke out as they arrived in the Taco Bell parking lot. 
According to court documents, the girls were yelling and Sarah began beating Adrian. At this time, Sean jumped out of the car and fled the scene and left Adrian with Sarah and Corey. Allegedly, Corey held Adrian's arms while Sarah strangled Adrian. Some source material refers to a stick or a bat of some sorts that Sarah kept in her car and it was used to asphyxiate Adrian. Corey looped a leather belt around Adrian's neck and this is what ultimately killed her. What happens following Adrian's murder, to me, may very well be the most disgusting and cruel thing a teenager could ever do. While details are somewhat shady, what happened next was something of a nightmare. Sarah and Corey took Adrian's lifeless body to Sarah's grandparents' farm, where they attempted to burn her body. However, after several tries, the two were unable to do so, so they called a young man named Nathan Gaudette, picked him up, and had a discussion with him about what to do with Adrian's body next. They knew that her body could be identified through dental records and or fingerprints, so the three decided that they would dismember her body. From what I understand, Nathan wasn't necessarily a friend of Sarah and Corey's. He was really just an acquaintance. So for them to call him, pick him up, and ask him to help dispose of a body was simply beyond me. The next day, Corey, Sarah, and Nathan took Adrian's body to Sarah's grandparents' farm. Using his grandfather's handsaw, Nathan dismembered Adrian's body, removing her head, hands, and legs. Her head and hands were put in a trash bag to be located elsewhere, while her torso and legs were left at Sarah's grandparents' farm. One of the most disturbing parts of this case, though, was what happened right after they disposed of the plastic bag that held Adrian's head and hands. Sarah, Corey, and Nathan, before heading to Blackhawk State Historic Site to drop off Adrian's head and hands into a manhole, stopped at a McDonald's to grab lunch. Like I said, Adrian's remains were thrown into a manhole in the Moline Park, and the three drove away, praying the remains would never be found. Adrian's family began to worry about Adrian being missing when she did not show up for a shift at her job at Checkers. They reported her missing, and the police began a thorough investigation. Now, I'm going to warn you, my source material was very fuzzy upon what happened next, so bear with me. But from what I understand, here is what took place next. Police interviewed Sarah, who claimed that she invited Adrian to lunch with her, Corey, and Sean, but Adrian wanted to be left there to walk so that her parents did not know that she was with the three. Then interviewed Corey, who eventually broke down and led authorities to where Adrian's remains were located. Sarah, Corey, and Nathan were then arrested for her murder. I found some information on Adrian's autopsy report that helped to make sense of the timeline that took place after Adrian went missing. I'll have to warn you though, the details are somewhat graphic. According to pathologist Jessica Bowman, there was minor hemorrhaging in Adrian's scalp and a laceration over her left brow. While there was blunt force trauma evident, none of it was considered lethal. There was evidence of dismemberment after thermal damage was inflicted upon the body, and there was no soot in her airway, so we know for sure that first of all, Adrian was dead when they tried to burn her body, and second of all, Sarah and Corey first tried to burn the body before searching for a solution elsewhere. Following the autopsy report, 
Sarah was charged with two counts of first-degree murder and concealment of homicidal death. While the jury was unable to reach a verdict in the first trial, resulting in a mistrial, the next trial found her guilty of both charges. Sarah was sentenced to 50 years in prison, so I think it's safe to say she won't get out for quite a while. Corey was also charged with murder in the first degree and concealment of a homicidal death. He pled guilty to both of these charges and was sentenced to 45 years in prison. However, later, he filed for an appeal, claiming that his sentence was unconstitutional. He claimed his sentence was cruel and unusual punishment as he was charged as an adult when he was a child. His counsel claims it violated the Proportionate Penalty Clause of the Illinois Constitution. Therefore, Corey requested a new hearing. He appeared in court on April 22, 2021, and is set to reappear for a potential scheduling of sentencing hearing in November of 2021. Nathan pled guilty to concealment of a homicidal death. However, in 2012, Nathan died in a fiery car accident in Indiana, along with two others who perished in the crash. Adrian's memory lives on through the Adrian Reynolds Fund, a grant program that helps people get their GED, counseling services, and financial assistance for troubled teens. Thank you for listening. Be sure to tune in next time to hear a story that puzzled the Des Moines area for decades. The Morbid Midwest is written and researched by me, Brooke Hass. Sound and recording provided by KALA Radio. And music is composed by Alex Seifert. <laughs>